Now, before we get into this episode of Left of Field, I just want to thank my friends at the Little Hottie Sauna. It's an infrared sauna studio in Subiaco, Perth, and they're sponsoring this episode. So if you want to feel great, why not sweat more and stress less? It's Left of Field with Danny Kavanagh. Hello and welcome to another episode of Left of Field. I'm your host, as always, Danny Kavanagh. And today I'm going to bring to you my chat with Western Australian triathlete Matt Burden. Now, Matt details the long and injury-plagued road leading up to qualifying for Kona at Bunbury Ironman last year. And he takes us through the whole race day that saw him go sub eight. And now he's the first person to do that. And yeah, now he's qualified for world championships. It's a great chat. Give it a listen and enjoy. Matt, welcome to Left of Field. How are you going today? Great, Danny. Thanks for having me on. We've had a little bit of joke about this, how tough it was to kind of grab some of your time mm. because you have a very intense training schedule. Why don't you tell everyone what kind of schedule you're under right now? Yeah, so probably a bit odd at the moment <laughs> given there really is no racing for potentially another six months, but staying ahead of the game has been pretty important through this whole period. So I've Roughly 35 to 40 hour week, split between five to six sessions a week. I swim with the squad just in Bayswater, living in Maylands, keeps, makes it nice and close, so I'm not having to travel too far to pool in the morning because typically squads are quite early. Ride sort of, I've probably pushed that a little bit too much over the last two or three months, six to 800k a week. Running, uh, I went too hard with running early on in the COVID process where I was trying to sort of push that limit around 150k, but sort of 100k. It's pretty typical now. I call it like pretty standard loading. And then a bit of time in the gym, obviously, and treatment. And when you get a bit of a niggle, you get more treatment. So hence the reason I'm, people think I'm a busy person. But no, nah, I'm just consumed by training and treatment and sleeping. <laughs> so I'm quite a boring person, really. But yeah, so thanks for your time and having a chat about what I do and why I do it. You touched on it there about, obviously, COVID, border closures. Mm. It's makes it very difficult for your sport. What has been the last, you know, kind of six months looked like for you and what's coming up? Yeah, it's been a really interesting period. It's only now when you speak going to Bustleton 70.3, the WA Long Course Championships were two weekends ago down in, in Bustleton. That's the first time it's appeared racing since February for me. You know, like everyone knows, one day it happens and the next day it's a bit like Christmas, right? It's all, it's a good build up and then, it's all over in one day and then you got to sort of reassess what's next and looking ahead now, who knows, right? So I haven't been impacted from a training point of view I, and training is probably why I got into the sport because I enjoyed the large volumes. I'm not blessed with fast switch fibers, so sprinting was never going to be a thing. But workload is something that I actually enjoy. It doesn't sort of bother me to put in the big days and the harder days and, uh, you know, heat. Rain has been sucky for a winter, get enough of that. But probably the only last, the last two weeks where I've been like, if something doesn't go change from a border point of view, you know, do I shift next year? I get married in December and then I was talking to my partner last night, do we just pack up and, you know, my I still have my spot for Kona for Ironman World Championships, which were cancelled this year and spots were rolled over to next October. But, you know, the future is such a indefinite time that, you got to have multiple plans, right? You can't just have this one plan, one race. Okay, I'm just going to peak for then. 
sort of got to give yourself plan A, B, C, D. You know, if I'm stuck locally, then how do I make a living? How do I try and push to make a living in a sport that we have one main race here a year, which is in the May. The local races don't fill that void as such. And I, I'd probably just got to the point in triathlon now where, you know, I, I was ranked, ranked 30th globally on the Ironman circuit from the PTO, a professional triathlete organisation. But it doesn't mean much when you can't race everyone else. It must be really tough. Now, you touched on a lot there, but let's mm. start and take it back to the beginning. How did you get into the sport? Yeah, I just had a, a friend buy me for my 21st birthday entry to the Aussie Day try down in Point Walter for all the locals in Perth, just down quite central. That's a bit of a joke. You weren't a runner, so, you weren't a swimmer. No, nah, nah, I was playing I was a bit of amateur footy and I played cricket growing up. I definitely couldn't run out of sight on a dark night. Definitely wasn't a swimmer. Like this race was 200 metres swim and I had to breaststroke. So it was literally, I was a bit of a fitness enthusiast, had started a fitness business, was like a lot of young guys and, and girls now go through this sort of aesthetic stage when they leave school with obsession with the gym. So I was, you know, loving that life, trying to get, get bigger and, and bulkier. And then I got to a point where I was like, uh, if you want to keep going with that, you've got to take drugs, right? You've got to <laughs> load up on steroids to, to look bigger and get on stage, but it's not an attractive look. It just so happened at the time, my friend bought me this entry to my 21st birthday and I literally, it was like a, a switch after that race, like I didn't go well. It was only 200 meter swim, 7k ride, and 2k run that January, and then uh, January 2009, and then by the end of that year, I did nine man. Wow! So you just <laughs> yeah. loved it straight away. Really took to the training. Now tell me, yeah, how do you develop to get to that professional stage from just doing it once? You know, to tick off a bucket list. I think a lot of people out there think maybe one day they could do a half marathon or do a full yep. marathon and tick it off. But what made you want to dedicate yourself to this full time? Being twenty-one, uh, you like you think like Superman, right? You think you're indestructible. But you kind of are. You you recover so quickly from sessions that you can see why most young athletes, you know, have that ego and feel that way. But you always look back now, right? And I don't want to be that old guy looking back and in hindsight and all this sort of stuff. It's, I'm still very much in it, but it's just the general progression, right? It's a slow progression over time with consistency, which so every time I try to push it too much over the last 12 years, I get injured severely, really, if you try and overload. So from a a very short race where I borrowed a bike and almost got disqualified for having no shirt on and all this stuff. I was so unaware of triathlon, so green in, in a sport growing up in the hills in Perth. But then later that year, do an Ironman and then start to understand this whole world of the history of the sport. That's probably when you start to become uh, consumed by it, when you, you see 30 years of, or now 40 years of, of this brand, this distance, this long course racing where people... You know, you have to be consumed by the sport, but unfortunately, you got to learn the hard way too. You've got to be consumed, but still realise that life goes on. You still have family, you still have friends, or try to. So, yeah, I think it's just a big, and it's still continually now, just get put the shoes on. Just get out there every day without overthinking it too much. You touched on the training overload. Now, mm. you've had a, you have definitely faced your challenges in the sport. Can mm. you tell me what you've been through with injuries? Yeah, the first four years I raced triathlons. I raced age group. I won the 18 to 24 age group in Hawaii in 2011, 2012. 
essentially your age group world champion. And then in 2013, took a pro license, made a mess of it real quickly, just did too much. I thought, you know, okay, I'm pro, I'll do 40 hours a week. But I went, I've gone from doing 20 hours, 25 hours of steady stuff to trying to just massive increment, right, in a, in a short period of time. So for four years, I struggled with this back injury. When you go to people at 25 years of age and you complain about a back injury that you don't really have in normal living, yet when you get on the bike, every after a certain amount of time, I would feel this pain to the point where it's debilitating, where I'm, I just hated riding the bike. So it's something, you know, it's a love-hate, became a real love-hate relationship. Cycling was my strength, but it was also my biggest weakness. And, you know, looking now, like if I was to you know, make the reference, and I still have to be cautious now, but, yeah, it ended up being, I created a stress structure, right? A lot of people, a lot of athletes go through that, right, in all sorts of parts of the body. But it would have been early 2014 that this stress structure came on in my sacrum. And then I wasn't showing symptoms. Now, sort of, it was only diagnosed in 2017, right? Late 2017. So I was only showing symptoms sort of around that stage because it had got so, it becomes a fracture once you keep stressing it. I traveled to see different therapists. So I had that, the mental aspect where people thought it was all in my mind. It was a chronic pain. And when you're 25, 26 years of age being told this, it's, yeah, you don't, you don't believe it, right? It's like, no, I know what pain feels like. And it would have been really frustrating. Else. Yeah. And, and it was frustrating on relationships and family. And, but everyone has sort of different things they go through. So it could have been a lot worse. And just, I'd given up. I was in Europe and October 2017. I came home from Europe after having to pull out of a race. I had to pull out of about 20 races in that four-year period just from the pain would come on at different times on the bike. So I was never even getting to run. It just creates a lot of inconsistency in training too, right? So came home, back to my team of therapists here, went to a different sports doctor, extremely thorough but simple approach. And I just did a full body scan and then eventually uh, found that the stress fracture had become a fracture in the sacrum and so that was like he's like oh i just hope it heals he goes it looks very old so you know when it's not that initial site of injury your body's not responding to that point to help it heal but i stayed off any load for six months i just swam and it did heal and then you know when i come back from training it was like i couldn't just jump straight back in i had six months of no bike and no run so your tendons need to be retrained yeah fitness in general across the board your muscles need to be reconditioned so there was that process and then all of a sudden the back stuff fired up again because i created some disc irritations and some annular tears in the disc just little tears through your the vertebra disc from stressing my back so much over that period when my body was having to deal with another issue so it sounds extreme but i wasn't it wasn't like I was taking an hour to get out of bed in the morning. Did you, did you ever train. think about giving up the sport? Oh, 100%. Honestly, the time when I, when I came home after pulling out of Ironman Barcelona in 2017 and I'd come home, I was literally ready to put my bikes and stuff up on uh, Marketplace. And because uh, it just, you know, I'm a big believer and I think credit to my parents. Over time, it's a reward for effort, right? So when you put enough effort into something, eventually there'll be some form of reward. It may not be what you want it to be, but there'll be something. You're only 25 and you've got all this back mm. pain. Did you ever consider that maybe this sport wasn't for you? It was always this thought like, I just want to race Kona professionally once. It takes a certain type of athlete to go really well in Kona. 
I've been in the sport two years and I win my age group there. I'd never done triathlon growing up, never ran, never rode a bike. So to only be in the sport two years, win my age group, and it all felt quite easy, I guess. Like it was just me following a program without having to do anything too extreme. I don't know. I just guess my close circle around me were just so supportive that till we get there to have one track, you know, might have taken now, <laughs> now I'm 32 and COVID's pushed it out another year. I qualified last year finally, professionally. So the plan was, you know, I should only just be home from Hawaii. Let's fingers crossed we can get there next year. After starting Pilates at KX Pilates Subiaco, my body has been in need of some extra love and attention. And that's when I decided to give little hottie saunas a go. And honestly, my body has thanked me. From about 30 minutes to 45 minutes in a sauna, your skin feels amazing afterwards. That All that sweating out of toxins, really getting rid of the chemicals and clogged pores. Your blood flow increases, all the nutrients come to the surface and it allows you to have a really natural glow. And now here comes the good part because for all you Left of Field podcast listeners, Little Hottie Saunas in Subiaco are offering you 10% off their single sessions and pack. So just use the code LOF10 at checkout. Sweat more and stress less. Achieved your goal of qualifying for Kona. Mm. How did you do that in such a short period of time Mm -hmm. after this injury that could have put you out of the sport? What was the road like to qualifying now for the World Championships? Yeah, it was 18 months. Was it 2019? The winter of 2019, I started back racing, I guess, triathlon-specific training. And then I did Bustleton December 2018, and I finished third. Right, So I missed by a spot. And then all through 2019, I raced an Ironman in New Zealand in the March, Cairns in June, and then I tried again in Sweden. But I was missing by a spot each time. And then in Sweden, I had some back trouble. Then I come home, and I was like, oh, do I just give it up again? But... I just tried to push it too much, right? Because I was getting so close to qualifying and I was racing very well, but not qualifying. So it was funny in Buffalo in 2018, when I finished third, I came worth with second and a Kiwi guy, Terenzo, one, were on the podium. And when they give out the slots to Kona and the two slots, he just turned to me and he was like, no free lunches here. <laughs> really? So I was like, it's, tr- it's true though. It's like, it was my first race, first Ironman back in like, two years I'd gone very quick I broke the WA record by 10 minutes 807 I never thought I'd probably go that fast in an Ironman and then after coming home just missing out that following year a few times coming home from Europe again and sort of a bit uncertain and then my mother-in-law was actually like oh you know just forget that and focus on what's ahead again and once you get home and you're in your natural environment you can get all the right people involved therapists and whatnot so go back to working on that simple stuff again. And then in Boston last year, 2019, I broke eight hours. So first West Australian to break eight hours. Congratulations. Thank you. So 7.55 was your official time. Yeah, 7.55. So. And you finished um, second? Second behind uh, Alistair Brownlee. So he had an exceptional day. He broke the course record by a big margin, 7.45. But, um, you know, 10 minutes is a massive gap. But like a lot of people congratulate me, but I'm like, well, there's, 7.45 7.45 is really the benchmark, right? So where do you find 10 minutes? Is it just one of them days or, you know, the fact that he's the best triathlete in the world at the moment, you know, give or take a couple of guys, but qualified, right? So it was like, okay, I didn't have all, didn't win the race, but 
qualifying is pretty tough. What was the <laughs> feeling like when you saw that 7.55 when you're coming down yeah. the last straight? Because there's been no racing, it still feels like, you know, even last weekend racing this half distance down in Busso, I was, you can sort of relive it, right, that feeling. Because I've passed Sam Appleton yeah, and I've run into second by 25K. So, you know, and I was still running well and then had no concept of the overall time. I was like, just perform, swim as well as you can, ride to a specific effort, power base, and then run was, I think a lot of people that go into Ironman, like, I'm going to run this pace and I'm going to try negative split. Just forget that. Like, if you come out and you can hold a constant pace for a long period of time, you've had a good run. Because it's very difficult to, if you set too much in terms of specifics, after you've rode 180k and you've got to run a marathon, most of the time it becomes survival, right? Survival with your best effort. But yeah, coming down the chute, you know, you, my legs were shot as most would be, but it's a bit of a shock, really. I never thought I'd break eight, sort of have a broken back and then go to, to break an eight hours at home was pretty special. Well, within um, a year to go to 8.07 to 7.55 is, you've definitely hit your PB there. What is your strength on the course? What are your splits mm. for the run? Like for someone who never does it, you mentioned you can't do your splits, yeah. but how fast are you running that? Typically, you you put yourself in a real good chance to run if you're running well to sort of that 3.50 per K pace. 3.50 per K is a 240 marathon, right? So anywhere from 3.50 per K to four minute per K puts you in the game. You're in that 240 to 248 bracket. So I ran 246. Definitely, uh, it's funny. You look at the metrics and it's like, oh, no way. But that's where, like, as soon as you don't overthink it and you just let fitness take over from, you know, have a bit of belief in what you've done in training. Nutrition, obviously, is an extremely important part of anything over that eight-hour time. Plus, a lot of people that come and do on, man, I can talk about eight hours. A lot of people can be up upwards of 15. You know, 17 is the cutoff, so... Everyone has their own battles there. It's what kept me in the sport that distance because I hadn't been able to finish one in so long and then I started to race them well. I guess I have a feeling of when I'll be happy with what sort of effort, especially bike-related. Is that your weakest link, would you say? Or? No, no. Swimming. I didn't grow up swimming, so it's my parents' fault, but so that will always be my weakness. The one I get most nervous about, um, I think it helps. In WA, really lucky with such a big open water series over the summer. And a lot of like shorter course triathlons, so you can get that sort of race fit in the water, but swimming's a weakness. And then, I don't know, the harder the bike, the better I run, sort of how I feel. What about on the um, bike? Do you ever, do people ever ride hang on for advantage? Do you guys ride your own race? There's meant to be a 12 metre draft rule, so you've brought up a pretty touchy topic here, right? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, 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 really, yeah. You could get yourself in a lot of trouble with some uh, officials in this uh, sport. The strongest cyclists, in the sport are pretty uh, outspoken about this frustrating part of the long course race. It's meant to be draft illegal, so you can't sit on, right? So 12 metres is a fair gap, but officials seem to let 12 metres be 10 metres. And then when you're getting 10 metres behind another bloke, you can still pace and sometimes even still get a draft. So it's like if you know there's a, a, some guys who have let out of the water and they're going to work in some formation up in front of you, you're going to have to ride on a much harder effort to catch them for a period of time. And then when you get there, you got to try and distance yourself straight away because if they've been working well enough together, if there's a few of them there, and Hawaii's a big one for it, like you can have a, we'll call it a bunch, but it's a strong, a strung out line, a train 
of maybe 15 guys, 10 metres, 12 metres apart, that's a long line. So if you've got to go from, from back to front and pass all these guys, that's a lot of expenditure. And and a car in the legs. Yeah, and you get drafting penalties if you don't pass people at, in a certain amount of time. So if you're going to go past 15 guys at once, you have to be past one person at a time in like 25 seconds. Mm. You know, and if they're travelling at 45k an hour, you got to go. It means you got to go 50k an hour for potentially two minutes, three minutes to get past them all. Do you ever have an argument out on the court? Oh yeah, really? Yeah, but that's that's adrenaline, right? <laughs> you know, the way you say things isn't probably how you'd say it. Me talking to you now, it's uh, pretty violent. Yeah, pretty aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's you see it in every sport, right? People lose the plot a bit. You you can't afford to lose the plot in eight hours just because you got to conserve adrenaline. Like hormone is plays a big part, right, in this style of racing. What do you do to tell yourself to push through that pain <laughs> barrier? Because it's eight hours. You're gonna get very tired. It's probably not a okay. It is a pain barrier, but it's not like we're at. So you see the elite marathon runners in the world, right? When they're running two hours, they're running at threshold. They're at the fine line where if they go just slightly too fast, they produce too much lactic acid that they'll eventually slow, right? Whereas Ironman racing, you never really touch that point. So a lot mm. of the stuff, what we do in the racing, if we were doing it fresh, just a single sport, right, we can go a lot faster. So it's an accumulation of fatigue. It's very, it's a muscular fatigue that we suffer. We're not, you're not suffering from an aerobic fatigue or the fact that you're your lactic threshold isn't high enough or things like that. So it's more that when you get midway through a marathon, if you've got nutrition wrong and you haven't got no glycogen left in the muscles or, you know, floating in your body or in the muscles in the legs, all of a sudden the muscles start shutting down. So that's the pain. Your body can be catabolic for up to four or five hours in the race. So it's eating muscle. And that's where you go through some points where obviously it'd be much easier to just stop and sit down. And that's how you feel. You're just like, whoa. You see, like, you run through an aid station so every few K and an Ironman, you go through an aid station. And it'd be so nice to walk through them, mm-hmm. sort of cover more ice on you. But it's, as soon as you stop, it's so hard to get going again. And then you're just like, oh, stopping was easy. We'll do it again. Yeah. You know, how do you manage up. that mental game then? How, did you, how have you built that? One aid station at a time. Become very aware of what you're able to do. So if you're going to run this speed and you feel like your legs are turning over well, you have to be able to hold back early on so that, like, if it's easy in the first half of a marathon, it'll be hard in the second half. It's like it's a waiting game for fatigue to kick in. A lot of other disciplines, other sports, you can kick fatigue in straight away if you want and you've got to battle it. Whereas when you hit that six or seven hour mark, eventually things start shutting down. And so it's just a matter of, like, being patient in the run until the pain, the hurt actually starts. If you can feel a million bucks through 21K, and then you almost need to feel really good. And then all of a sudden, things start hurting. Like within a K, you can go from not feeling anything to your quads feel like they're exploding every time your foot hits the ground. Another irritating thing would be chafing. Do you, I wonder, do you get really <laughs> bad chafing? Uh, the suits are pretty good these days. I use a lot of Vaseline. They should probably sponsor the sport, really. Get so them as your next sponsor. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I'll buy enough of it. But you're pretty aware of it, right? You put the chafing cream in the right spots. The suits now mm-hmm. don't have the seams like they may have once. That tends to be what chafes most, the seams. Mm. So if the wetsuit swim, you got to make sure up around the neck and stuff, 
you got the balm there so the wetsuit doesn't, the rubber doesn't rub on the, the skin because then it just cuts through your skin. Yeah, that's probably what's turned me off this. Yeah, let's go with the <laughs> possibility of chafing, not the elite athleticism. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, now let's look away from, you know, the course. What do you do yeah. in your spare time? Probably rest, sleep. I don't know. I just, it honestly does consume me to a point where socializing, uh, that's probably my step away from it where I don't have to talk about it. My my fiance doesn't race, never race, so she our life doesn't have to be spoken about triathlon all the time. And she obviously extremely supportive when we're going into a race. Yeah, I guess I prefer just to be home than cooking dinner and and cleaning, which is just part of the O C D of being an athlete. Be nailed a meal during COVID? <laughs> What's this cooking no, for really. you? What's your best? No, pretty boring really. I we've Veggies and some form of meat is just pretty standard. I don't know if she even enjoys that, but she's learned to love it. It's funny, I, I don't reckon people have really asked me that before, what I enjoy doing away from it because I'm never really away from it. spend a lot of time with family and then my friendship circle, a few of the boys, you know, they're athletes as well, so they've got those common interests. But, you know, we go out to dinner when everyone's home. A few of the guys live over in Europe, so summer's really cool. Everyone's home. Everyone's back in Australia, back in Perth. I did have a small fitness business before uh, triathlon started to really take over. So I do a little bit of that still running group sessions. Great. And I enjoy that. I don't enjoy, I probably don't have the patience for coaching yet. A lot of people ask that, you know, would you coach? Would you, you know, would you coach me? But I really just enjoy training your everyday person, trying to lose a bit of weight or just get fit or just for that social exercise aspect. Is that something you'll do when you have to finally hang up the... Yeah, I, I think so. I, that often gets spoken about, you know, what do you do after sport? But I still would like to think there's probably eight to ten years that I will be able to drive hard in this sport for. I don't want to be doing it when I'm the old guy and people telling me to stop racing. But, yeah, down that line or down the next guy's physiology side of it or, you know, I've got made a lot of good friends who are physiotherapists, occupational therapists, you know, soft tissue years, therapists. With your, so. with your injuries, yeah, yeah. you spend a lot of time around them, I bet. Yeah, you learn so much, right? So The importance you know, of strength in, and conditioning. Yeah, I walk into a session with them and I know everything they're talking about. So it's like, well, probably equipped myself with quite a bit of knowledge that might be able to help in a different profession. But definitely something sport influence, whether it be also that whole, I think now we're very exposed to the mental aspect. And whether or not that's been COVID, a lot of athletes have been stuck, especially with the Olympics, right? I think mm. that would be the hardest of all with some of those sports where the Olympics is all they have, you know, and that's every four years. So I couldn't imagine being in that state right now when it could be a last Olympia, but it might not actually happen. So it's like, think about more when it comes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And what's a motto you like to live your life by then? What's something that gets you out of bed in the morning, keeps you going? I don't struggle with motivation, but when I'm tired, my partner's name's Kim. She'll often say, just get it done, because I'll often say that to her if we're uh, talking about her just doing some exercise or something. Or, so it's very much just get it done. I wish you all the luck to just get it done in Kona next year. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on the show, and it's nice to chat about it sometimes. Otherwise, it'd probably sound like a broken record at home. <laughs> don't worry. We can always come and tell us here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Danny. 
I just want to say thanks again to Matt and thank you to all of you for tuning into another episode. Please go and like all my socials, like and subscribe and tell me what you think. All of that stuff really does help me. So get onto Instagram, get onto Spotify and give me some love. Thank you. I'll be back again next week.